Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The year is 1980. Sydney's streets are filthy, running rampant with crime and corruption. Puberty blues is onto the cinemas. Ice House is blaring on the stereo. It's humid and dangerous and a young man has decided to join the police force to fight crime. That man, of course, is my dad. Loose Units, the podcast, was created to tell the cases that wouldn't fit into my first book, Loose Units. But Loose Units was a series of fantastical tales that I wrote based on the real crimes my dad solved on the force back in the early 80s. So this season, Dad and I are finally going to go back, back, back to the year 1980, and each week we'll be going chapter by chapter through Loose Units, the book, and Dad will tell us the story behind my version of events. It'll be thrilling, revelatory, and as always, very, very loose. Welcome to Loose Units Origins. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, the podcast. Every week, I, Paul Verhoeven, sit down with my dad, John Verhoeven, who used to be a cop. And I wrote a book about it called Loose Units. And every week on this season of the show, we are going through one of the chapters... And sort of getting dad's take on things and, uh, you know, sort of insights into what it was actually like to be there in the 80s, solving crimes, getting into fights. You didn't get into that many fights, did you, dad? You weren't really, in, you know, that wasn't really part of the job. No, but I went to a lot of uh, brawls, mm. like major, major brawls. Sure. Um, where, like in the movies, like in the uh, in the westerns, I don't know whether we have westerns anymore, but they used to be popular. <laughs> When people were literally flying out of stage doors. You know yeah. those saloon doors? Oh, yeah. I miss saloon doors. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, the sheriff would be sort of strolling into a um, to a sort of an, an 1870s pub. I think they called them bars or a saloon. You, you Saloon, you, saloon. You said, I mean, you said saloon doors, so I don't see why they wouldn't be attached to a saloon. <laughs> Good call. Yeah. And... Uh, in the movies, you'd see people flying out and coming through windows. Of course, mm. of course, the windows in the movies were made of... Do you know what they're made of? I'm guessing sugar. You're right. Uh, not just a bag of sugar, because that wouldn't... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Paul, if you just had a bag of sugar... Yeah. Um, well, how would you get it to... You'd have to throw... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you couldn't like... see through it. Well, you know how you, if, if, um, if, if sand gets struck by lightning, it turns into glass... Yeah, yeah. What happens if sugar gets struck by lightning? It um, turns into sugar glass. Oh. Um, so these windows in the movies, for the listeners that don't know, and probably everyone does know, they're made of uh, uh, sugar. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, the, and But you see the bodies sort of flying out, and it's very spectacular. But ladies and gentlemen, I have actually been to many brawls, one in particular at the Oaks Hotel in mm -hmm. Neutral Bay. There were actual people coming through... The windows. But the problem is, in real life, not like in the movies, like isn't it amazing in the movies when you go through a sheet of glass and you actually land on your hands and I always think about 
the lacerations that are caused. And of course, in real life, you'd be you'd, your hands would be just cut to ribbons and you'd be bleeding. Yeah, and then there'd be just a whole bloody scene. But I've actually been to brawls where I remember we rocked up one night and this Scottish girl came flying through a plate glass door and landed in front of us. Oh, Jesus. Minor problem. Yeah. She had literally been skinned. There were segments, large layers of her outer skin that had basically been flayed. Ah. She looked as though... I mean, have you ever grated a finger yes. on a potato grater? Yes. Um, and you kind of look down and you can see that there's just... It's, it's the blood's actually... It's kind of weird. It's like witnessing something horrific and you just stand there agog for a little while and nothing happens. Everything just sort of takes on this form of suspended animation. And then all of a sudden... The blood starts. The heart realizes, shit, something really bad's just happened. And you look down and then you're looking for this, like a pad of your finger. And you find out, well, you don't, what happens is, of course, you never find it. And then you realize later that you actually baked it with a potato. That's another story. So what you've um, done is you've gone from the Scottish girl with no skin to your finger. And I thought you were looking down, for, you'd baked the girl with a potato. It was very confusing. But what you're saying is, oh, I, I, no, I know what you're talking about. So the blood takes a second to start flowing after the skin's been ripped off. Mm. When this woman came through the plate glass. Oh, God, oh, she was rat shit. She'd fallen in front of us. She was in amongst shards of glass. She was so cut up. Yeah. It was really bad. She was bleeding. And then you're not going to believe what she did, Paul. What? Take one guess what this woman did. Stood up and walked away? What did, you, what did she do? Very, very, very close. She stood up. She's sort of like in a zombie movie. Yeah. She just got up on all fours. Yeah. I expected her, mm-hmm. her head to ro- rotate 360 degrees, like in The Exorcist. Yeah. She was clearly possessed. She was so angry, she ran back into the brawl and it was full on. So, how much of her was actually, how much skin was actually gone, and where no, was it gone? Well, it wasn't from? actually gone. Forget the potato analogy. Okay. Oh, thank um, you. Good. Okay. But there were bits hanging off. But she was highly intoxicated. Uh huh. She was in deep shock, and she was very angry because she had been bashed and thrown out through a plate glass door. And she went back in to finish the fight. And she went back in, and it was really, really bad. Well, what happened uh, then? Well, we. She started to pass out, which was good. I mean, not good that she passed out, but good that people realised that this whole situation, there were, it was like an old-fashioned pub brawl where people were literally bashing each other over the head with bar stools. They were using pool cues, yep. which are really, really dangerous. Mm-hmm. I mean, people have been killed with pool cues. But the key to being a good police officer was to stand back. Uh, we didn't have a riot squad back then, so it was... Us general duties police, we would be confronted with these situations on a regular basis in North Sydney. We had some really heavy pubs. When I say heavy, you know, when people get really drunk, some people just completely lose the plot. It's a sort of a Jekyll and Hyde thing um, where sort of a mundane, urbane uh, accountant, Monday to Friday... Mm -hmm. When he goes and hits the piss, sometimes it unleashes the beast. And, uh, of course, you know, we had this special deal with the uh, 
the hotel, that particular hotel, which was that that's the place, Paul, we used to go to at the end of night shift. And I think that's later on in the book. Because they had a relationship with the, with the police, whereby... You um you named the... You told me what the name of the hotel was. Yeah, and it's the Oaks Hotel. The what hotel? The Oaks. The famous Oaks. Famous hotel. And I, don't, I couldn't give a rat's ass naming well, it. I mean, I it's mean, a long time ago and it's probably changed ownership. <laughs> and if it hasn't, well, stiff shit. I'm sure they don't have... Look, let's face it, policing in the 80s was slightly different. We all know that at Darlinghurst Police Station, fact, mm. one of the cells was a permanent bar. So... You know, that's then, but and we're talking about then, of course. Well, buzz. Yeah. Paul, um, you always worry that I'm going to say something a bit weird and you get a bit bit, bit sort of, you know... You... It's not worry. No, no, it's not worry. I enjoy no. when it happens and mm. I, I cherish these opportunities, yeah. but why? But I'd just Are like you... to say to you, Paul, the book yeah. I'm reading, Loose Units, um, my homework was to read Chapter 7. Yes. Now, I've been using this bookmark and... I've never really paid any attention to the bookmark. It was just a bookmark. And what it is, it's a piece of paper, but it has, it has um, like a stamped logo on it. Penguin Random House Australia. And Paul, for the first time, well, obviously at the time when you sent this book to me, um, which is a fair while ago now, uh, but you, you, you wrote a note and I'm going to read it to oh, you and the listeners. I? Yeah. And here we go. It says, Dad... I am so proud to have worked with you on this tremendously weird, audacious book. Now you can't ever dispute your impact on the world. You've made a huge impression. I'm so happy that everyone will now see you the way I do. Love, Paul. How good's that? Oh, that's nice. So I just wanted to share that uh, with the listeners because um, sometimes lovely things that have been written are just in front of us, but we don't um, we don't see them. But I thought that was a nice uh, platform today to to because uh, that's the, that's the the paper mark the bookmark I use in our um, in this season. That's really when we, sweet. When we go I, through the book. I was at a uh, friend's birthday party yesterday with Tegan, and my friend Dan Nichols rocked up, and he basically said to me, look, Paul, last time we were at a party together was, you know, like three years ago. And he said, I just bought a copy of Loose Units. I just bought a copy of your book and I gave it to you and, I, and we were both quite drunk. And you wrote this incredible long kind of dedication in the front of the book. He said, you sat there for like 10 minutes writing and drawing things. And then he got in the Uber home and left the copy in the Uber and ended up kind of losing the book. And as a result, he hasn't read the first book. So he rocked up to this party with a copy of Electric Blue, the new book, and said, can you please write a dedication in this one and I promise I won't lose it. So I drew this very elaborate picture of an Uber with loose units in the back being whisked away into the distance and said, if you lose this one, I will find you and I will kill you. Which Excellent. I thought was That's sort nice. of the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, but no, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, everyone who got a copy of Electric Blue from Booktopia, I sat there and I signed... How many books was it? 500 copies of the book? And I, I drew pictures in them and I signed all kinds of things. But, you know, if you ever come to a live show, Dad and I will sit there and just sort of sign these things. Definitely, and write definitely. Elaborate things, yeah. Yeah. Paul, um, just before we go on, I'd like the listeners also to know, our mm. lovely, lovely listeners, that I, in my time in the New South Wales Police Force, I was never assaulted. Really? I was never hit, never punched. I mean, I had lots of scuffles that were 
well, perhaps more more than scuffles. I mean, when you were trying to arrest someone, yeah, that was obviously a high intensity, high adrenaline situation, which I think we're going to cover in this this chapter. Well, I was going to say, yeah. Speaking of, I mean, last week, chapter six left us, well, left you with someone who I called Countdown, who was ostensibly a suspect, who you got to handcuff in front of a crowd of people, and chapter seven. As you've astutely led us to, it's a beautiful segue, very nice, Dad, uh, is called Off the Cuff, and it begins like this. A brief aside on the nuances of cuffing a suspect. In theory, you need to hold both cuffs and then whack them wristward, whereupon the cuffs part like slick metallic gates before ratcheting shut with a satisfying series of clicks. In practice, in the rain, a fatigued and anxious young officer might neglect to hold down the small button on each cuff. Without pressing these buttons down the metal cuffs won't retract. They will instead smash into the suspect's wrists, causing said suspect to react very physically, perhaps prompting them to shake free of the flimsy hold you have them in. Maybe they'd call you a bad name as they mule kicked you and fled into the night. Now, that didn't happen to you, obviously. But I mean, handcuffs are things that we see on TV a lot. We see them in movies a lot. You know, they are kind of one of those policey things. And last week, I think at the end of the episode, you sort of detailed the fact that, yeah, you did need to just whack them on, uh, and there was a bit of a trick to it. I mean, I assume handcuffs are probably pretty much the same as they were always, right? Like, how, how much can you evolve handcuff technology? Well, Paul, in relation to handcuff, handcuff, sorry, handcuff technology, it's, yeah. it, it has improved dramatically over the years. I mean, there, there was a time when you could quite easily pick handcuffs, uh, you know, pick, like pick a lock. But the cuffs that we were given in the police force back in the 80s, I don't know what the cuffs are like now, but these were, a, these were a weapon unto themselves. You could take those cuffs out and they were heavy. They were really, really weighty. And, you know, they were not to be messed with. Now, at the, at the academy at Redfern, we obviously had to go through lessons on how to handcuff people. But the problem was that when you were cuffing someone at the academy, a fellow classmate, they were always very, very calm and compliant. They didn't simulate a person that did not want to be cuffed. And on that fateful night, that first night, when I realised as I, as I knelt, one knee was on his back and the other on the ground, and it's pissing down with a, with a very large crowd around us, I realised that, um, you know, sort of, you grab one of the arms, you reach around, you sort of pull his arm around near to, near to where my knee was. You you reach around with your other hand. In my case, I would have worn my... Then this made it very awkward for me, I remember, because I'm left-handed, but I wore my pistol on my left side, so yeah. my handcuffs were on my right side. So you had to... I'm actually using my right hand, which is not my preferred hand, and when you consider you're using, it's a little bit like having to write a letter with the hand you are not, it, which is not your writing hand. And, you know, we all know what, if you try and write with your other hand, how it looks pretty bad. So you have to perform a complex maneuver at the best of times with your weak hand. You've got to reach down, unclip the, uh, the pouch, reach in, remove... That the handcuffs. Now, the handcuffs, um, if people have a, a look at police officers' uniforms, you'll notice that the pouch that the handcuffs are in is fairly small, which means the cuffs are actually doubled over inside the pouch. 
So you reach in, you pull the two cuffs out. You kind of put one or two fingers, you kind of un- sort of between the two loops, and you pull the whole thing out. You've then got to kind of separate them because you can only cuff one hand at a time. The problem is that the cuffs back then had a safety lever and you could rotate it 45 degrees once the cuffs were on to prevent sort of as a as a double safety check to sort of as an extra sort of method of making sure that they couldn't get out of the cuffs pick the cuffs someone couldn't sort of assist them the problem was that i had inadvertently locked the cuffs prior to this whole procedure so when i got to practice this not practice but actually use all my practice that fateful night in front of all these people while it's raining using my right hand when I'm left-handed and then I had the guy's wrist and as I've thrown down, like punched down the cuff, what should happen is that the the loop in the cuff should fly sort of and do sort of a 180 circle and then mysteriously, magically and, and very sort of, I mean, it's an amazing process to look at when it works. You, in a microsecond, he's cuffed. But that didn't happen with me. I went, I thrust this cuff down but it was locked so the only thing I was doing was basically bashing his poor wrists with a big metal object which caused him excruciating pain but then the problem was for me I mean we kind of yeah we we covered a little bit of that last week what we did not cover is my favorite part and that is when you've got someone kneeling on the floor and you've handcuffed their arms behind them and that person is much bigger than you how do you actually physically get them up on their feet and into a car okay well Look, what you do in between the cuffs, there's, there are a couple of links of a chain yeah. which connect the two sort of cuffs. So what you do is you put your hand down onto those links. You clench your... You make a fist. So the chain, the, the links are... You're holding them tightly. And then you then pull backwards. But what that's actually doing, or with this particular guy who weighed... Oh, shit, way over 100 kilos. And how much did you weigh at that point? I weighed, I can tell you, I weighed exactly 76 kilos. That's exactly how much I weigh now. Mm. So I was I was skinny. And uh, plus my uniform was wet. Plus I had a crowd of people that I think were deriving some entertainment by this stage yeah. in their semi-delirious state, watching clearly uh, a novice police officer performing something that he'd never, ever done in real life. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah. So as I pull the handcuffs, what happens to the poor guy is that I'm, I'm sort of pulling his shoulders back and they're going back and back. and But I'm managing to pull his arms back but and his chest is sort of coming off the ground but what I should have done I mean I was achieving nothing basically except creating some serious back pain for him sure. his wrist was already really sore um I in fact I I'm just what I would have straddled him so one foot either side and then I realized that I just couldn't possibly do this I had no assistance there were police doing other things, and I kind of thought, look, I can manage this myself. Mm. So what I managed to do, I, I, I sort of leaned down and, and sort of to the people standing around, it would have looked as I was whispering something in his ear, which would have looked even weirder. But basically what I was saying to him is, look, can you help me out here? I need your assistance. I need to actually get you onto your knees. And once you get onto your knees, you can then use the power of your legs with me guiding you and we can both sort of stand up together. So we were trying to work in unison, but the first few times it failed miserably and I was embarrassed. Um, fortunately, it was it was dark and pissing down. And then we kind of got a little bit of a system going and then eventually uh, he and I worked together. Mm. And it was a little bit like in the movies when you've got two people that are handcuffed together for, uh, like you know, on a chair and one of them has to cut the rope but the other person has to sort of once they've cut the rope they've got to sort of they stand up together or they've got to get over to a certain table oh, doing this weird um, crab walk yeah it's it's the emperor's new groove it's where they have to lock <laughs> they have to lock their arms together and shimmy up a kind of incline yeah yeah together yeah yeah so eventually um bearing in mind that this guy was the guy that had stolen a motorbike and come back to the scene right, so he course. was you know sort of an interesting guy and Look, you, you. What happens, of course, with prisoners if they're just look? A lot of prisoners, a lot, a lot that I dealt with were, were actually once you get to know them, you get to, you know, form a bit of a relationship, um, because everyone knows what everyone wants. They know the police want to find out the story, uh, and they don't really want to give it to you. But there's it's cat and mouse. But if you're with someone for some time, and uh, you know you. And then what happened was with this particular guy that he look he didn't seem such a bad fella. What happened was I then sort of marched him over to the police car. Yeah. And in all the movies, when you put someone in a police car, and I say the movies because it always looks so sort of nice, nicely done in the movies, 
But what happens is in real life is that you, what you're supposed to do, so I've got one hand on his cuffs, I put my other hand on the top of his head, he then lifts one leg and puts it on the floor of the car. This sounds like down, the nut bush, but go on. You're down from the seat. And then my, my job is to manoeuvre him. And then I put my hand and then I kind of push his head down so that he won't slam his head on the, you know, the entrance to where I'm trying to get him into the car. Mm. But I didn't do that. I, I, I sort of misjudged it and basically slammed his head into the side of the car, which kind of looks like police brutality from, from you know, an onlooker's perspective. In my case, it was just a, a stuff up. Um, and he wasn't overly happy with that. Um, but then when you get him into the car, remember this, his hands are behind his back when he's cuffed. Mm. Now, we didn't have a paddy wagon, so we, we put him in the back of a sedan. Then I have to clumsily reach around, like, and, and I've, I've got to um, do his seatbelt up. If I don't do his seatbelt up, which some police officers occasionally would not belt them for fun, yeah. so that they could watch them flying around, around the back of the police car. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, of course, another problem with what we're doing there, the reason he's cuffed from... Well, why do you think he's cuffed from behind? Uh, so he can't do things with his hands? You know, yeah. he can't attack imagine, you, he can't... Correct. You know, imagine doors. him reaching reaching around in front of him and just completely choking out. Of course. The passenger, well, which is the senior guy in the police car. He's got a metal thing around his wrist. He he's basically got a... Uh, weapon. A weapon. And yeah. it'd be horrendous. What a shitty way to go. He could literally almost cut through your throat yep. against the headrest. And then the police car would crash and it'd be a shit fight. Um, so the other thing, Paul, is that when we got him back to North Sydney Police Station mm-hmm. and we begin the process which is a very arduous process, bearing in mind that they'd committed many, many crimes in the previous, say, 10 hours. Sure. You have to check the back of the car because if he was armed, sometimes, and and it's happened many a time in, in police history, many, many a time prisoners have secreted hidden items or, or have hidden items, contraband, weapons, yeah. down the seat. That's why when you get them into the station, one police officer generally goes back and checks the car, and boy, oh boy, you'd be surprised what you find. So, so you uh, could you could effectively have someone who has been uh, arrested for stealing, you know, let's say diamonds, right? Yep. And then you get them into the back of the car, take them in to book them. The diamonds, and they may have. Are you saying they may have shoved, yeah, stolen goods down the back of the seat? Hundred percent. Yeah, but how are they going to get that? I guess the point no, no, is not they to just, get it. The- they, they're going to go, what are you talking about? What diamonds? Yep, okay. Okay, and also imagine if they've kept a low profile. Imagine if they were, um, I mean, some crims that are out there operating, they, they are armed. They get arrested. They've got a knife on them or even a gun. They're not going to use it. They don't want to get caught with it because that's just going to add to the shit storm that they're already in. They're in, they're in a lot of grief. Mm. But if if they're also found to have had a concealed weapon, they're going to be charged with that as well, which is an indictable offence. So it goes from a break-in or a steal to something way, way more serious. So if they have an opportunity to get rid of that weapon, they, a great place to do it is in the back of a police car. 
Gotcha. And then, and then, so if you haven't like the driver, which in this case was done <clears throat> at the beginning of the shift, if he didn't check the car really thoroughly, any good defence counsel will say, "Ah, how do you know it was my client's knife or gun?" And that's a fair point. Of course. So you would then need Dunn to get in the witness box and say, I searched that police car. Now, I know in reality, I don't know what it's like now, but I know for a fact back then that it was not always done. So you'd leave yourselves open to all sorts of dramas and basically to cover yourself, you'd, if it got to that, you'd have to lie in the witness box and mm. say, I did check the car. So there are all these little side issues. And uh, and then, of course, we, we got him into the station, had to call the uh, the detectives in, and uh, and they basically take over, and it was it it was a good sort of insight for me into how the the police force is very hierarchical, and how you know there are different horses for different courses, and basically I was at the bottom of the shit pile, mm-hmm. and um, I remember it was about probably two thirty three in the morning. I'm pretty delirious. Yeah, and I uh, the toilets at North Sydney Police Station were upstairs, and um, off the locker room, and I went up to the toilets, and um, there was a. Um, I went into the urinal, uh, not the urinal, the one of the cubicles, and um, above the cistern on the wall, I saw the most magnificent set of lips in bright red lipstick that had been basically stamped on the wall just to be clear you mean the impression of lips the impression. not actual lips no, mailed no, not, to it. okay not actual lips how high up were they um they were about maybe 30 centimeters above the cistern yeah okay so this is and this is in the men's toilets in the men's toilets yeah and you don't typically see in the 1980s you know male police officers wearing lipstick so the implication is pretty clear mm. well it was interesting because i got to do some very very basic one one might even say paul that yeah. with hindsight that that piqued my interest in uh in circumstantial evidence and although it was obviously not a crime scene mm. it was a scene of of something that had happened in that um in that cubicle. Yeah. So I managed to... Would you like me to sort of go into what I thought I... Well, it's happened? kind of... I mean, it, I guess it is peripherally sort of a reveal for later. Oh, but okay, you can cool. t- Okay, no, no. You know what? Just pretend the, the stuff that happens later on doesn't happen and pretend you're, you're, you are young John Verhoeven in that moment. You see the lipstick. What is your assumption based on the evidence? Well, I knew that... Um, I At least I was fairly sure because I actually... Yeah, I the lipstick was really striking. Mm. The color was really, really very bold, and you know it was pretty full on. And and my my instantaneous uh, thoughts were that a police officer, uh, female, mm-hmm. uh, had been facing uh, the wall. She would have been holding, definitely holding the cistern. Sort of, and she definitely would have had a police officer. Um, okay, I think, yeah, I think we get there. Yeah. 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 Oh, I wanted to go on, but I can't. Anyway, cool. But definitely there was a bit of shagging happening there. 
Okay. Yeah, but it, it was happening in a, And this is at two something in the morning, so odds are it was pretty recent, I'm assuming. Um, I don't know how... Oh, well, we had cleaners. There, there were cleaners, and I know that cleaners definitely would... I mean, you know, they'd come in. Yeah, and and yeah. do what they you know they do, and I don't think they'd leave that there. So it was it was pretty um, apparent. Okay, as to okay. What, what was going down at this point? You were still technically partnered up with Len Beta, although mm. at this point in the book, loose units, you are about to get partnered up with your second buddy. Yeah, yeah. Who I refer who was to just, as yeah, mate. Ant-Man. He was he was a yeah. he was a different kettle of fish. Yep. Um, and he is obviously. I mean, what I really like about the story is that sort of it turns into you dealing with, you know, different types of bad police, mm. which in turn makes you try and be a better one. And I think if people thought Len was difficult to deal with, uh, I think it's safe to say that your next buddy is is significantly worse. Mm. Uh, now, this chapter kind of closes out. Yeah, it, I mean, it closes out with... I'm not going to do the accent because I'm exhausted. No, listen, don't. mate, chuckle. Listen, mate, chuckled Dunn. His thick accent rendering his words almost indecipherable at this early hour. Don't go using words like exemplary. This isn't a written exam. If you don't figure out how to talk like everyone else, you're going to have a fuck of a time getting people to like you. So don't use big words. He paused and not unkindly added, and don't call shots fired on your buddy. Come to me next time. I'll do it. He can't get mad at me. He thinks I'll beat him senseless. Once heard him refer to me as a brick shithouse. Uh, yeah, I mean, what was... Because as a writer, one of the things I get to do is put in as many big words as possible. But when you're writing a police report, I guess what you're trying to do is strip away any subjectivity, right? Any evocative language. Paul, you're dead right. However, I love the English language. I love its nuances. And I am not going to shy away from, you know, being descriptive uh, and using words that are, um, you know, that I understand. And I, and, I, and I kind of was pretty pissed off when he said that to me. Right. Um, but I kind of got it as well. But I have always been one, uh, I won't say for flowery speech, uh, but I love, I love the English language. I love it, and it's a beautiful language. And as my grandfather, uh, Frank Letters, uh, an eminent Australian, when he was 11 years old, he tied a... A dictionary to one side of a plough and a Bible to the other side. And every single day out in the field, he'd learn one page of each. And he famously said when he was a professor of English and classics at New England University, he said, uh, English is the easiest language in the world to speak and the most difficult to speak well. And I just think we are, we have a rich, rich language. Uh, and I, and I, and I, I weep. Tears of blood when I hear our language being dumbed down. There are so many beautiful words in our in our in our language, descriptive words. So it's a magnificent. Um, I mean, communication is just is fantastic, and I and I wasn't going to um, to dumb myself down because because some other police thought, you know, it was just the facts and and just the facts. But you know, when you're when you're in court, reciting um, you know voluminous information in statements and there's a jury there and they're sort of trying to sort of maintain some level of sort of being being alert um i i, I think it's um it's nice to be descriptive because yeah. it's because you're telling a story you know i know that the fire brigade the new south wales fire brigades they were it was drummed into senior officers that they were just to to give the facts needless yeah. to say it's so boring um can you imagine me in front of the microphone Oh, they never get. They never get to go home, you know. No, and 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 and, and every God time forbid. the camera moved away to the actual scene, I'd I'd get them back and go, "Hey, it's this is." 
Can you imagine anyway. what would happen if you, if you and I actually witnessed the crime? Can you imagine when the news crews rocked up? We just we just slip into this. We just start be doing awesome. a, doing a back doing the Paul and John show. Love it, love it. Well, look, next week, next week we're going to be dealing with chapter eight, uh, which is a really interesting chapter. I think it's called Routine Business, unless it's not. In which case, I sincerely apologize. It is. It's got to be called Routine Business. Hang on. No, it is. Is it called Routine Business? Yeah. Chapter eight, Routine Business. Did I do it? Did I get it right? Yes, fuck yes. Yeah, chapter eight's interesting because it kind of gets into the minutiae of, of things. But if there's one word, Dad, to describe your performance on this week's episode of Loose Units, it's exemplary. So thank you Thanks, very mate. much for Thanks, tuning mate. in. Paul, I've loved the episode. And um, parting words, yep. uh, it's, there's a big event happening at the end of this year. Well, on the 25th, I th- from memory, it's Christmas Day. I think it is. <laughs> and um, I, in fact, this morning I was... I do, I do my soft sand run, as everyone knows. Um, and my running partner, he, uh, a lovely guy from uh, from Denmark, he pulled out of a bag this morning four copies of your latest book. Oh, shit, And he's really? asked me to sign them. So I brought them home and I'm going to get two. And so there's a mate that's bought four books. Um, so look, it's a great book. Um, you'll have it forever. And then when you die, you can pass it down through generations. And um, yeah, just uh, just do it. Get out there. My mother, my, mm. my lovely mum has probably bought, mm, let me think, God, I'd say in excess of 20 copies, Paul. Everyone she's ever met in the past everyone. six months. The local priest. Yep. Um, you know, Wait, everyone. really? Oh, God, yeah. She gave a copy of Electric Blue to a priest. Well, why wouldn't you? Because it's a pretty profane book, I think. Paul, that's, that... Paul, Paul! I think the Bible's fairly profane, isn't it? Well, bits of it are. So you know, anyway, people being eaten l- by lions and there's, there's there's less incest in Electric Blue than there is in the Bible. I take that as a ringing endorsement. Mm. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Loose Units Origins. We've had such a good time this week. We will see you at the end of this week for a loose ends. Don't forget to get your questions into us and uh, send them in at facebook.com forward slash loose units. And if you haven't already. Go back to last week's feed and have a listen to Tegan Higginbotham's incredible Christmas audio play starring Dad and myself, Red Hot Australian Christmas. We miss you all like crazy and we'll see you at the end of We miss you all like crazy and we'll see you at the end of the week. Bye folks. Fantastic. All the best. Bye. Bye. Bye, mate. <laughs> bye, bye, bye. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.